It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. It is Monday, October 2nd, 2023. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody enjoyed another great Saturday of college football. And we got ourselves a jam-packed episode of the Aaron Torres pod. Here's what you need to know. We could start pretty much anywhere. I'm going to start in a place that maybe a lot of other college sports pods, college football pods would not start. Kentucky beating down Florida. What does it mean for Mark Stoops and the Wildcats? I think you probably know. But more importantly, what does it mean for Billy Napier and the Gators? They are headed in the wrong direction in a hurry. From there, we'll take a quick break. We'll talk about that big game out on the West Coast. USC survives Colorado. But I think it's time to start ringing the warning bells about Lincoln Riley and that defense once again. How does Lincoln Riley always put himself in this situation? We'll wrap with the rest of the Saturday in college football. Georgia survives Auburn. Ole Miss LSU was a thriller. A&M looked really good against Arkansas. Michigan dominates. Notre Dame survives. A lot of ground to cover. Busy show. Fun show. Before we get started, by the way, we do have one quick announcement. If you missed it last week, the state of Kentucky. Legal sports betting has come to the state of Kentucky, and the Aaron Torres Pod has partnered with our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook and the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Here's what I need you to do, folks of Kentucky. By the way, Kentucky fans, just remember, Torres has always had your back. When everybody else is calling for Calipari to be fired, or what's he doing, or why is this, why is that, Torres has always given you that nice, even, level-headed approach to all things UK athletics and all things college sports in general. So, if you are living in the state of Kentucky, and even if you're not, I need you to do this if you are a first-time customer of DraftKings. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. If you've never used the app before, here's what DraftKings is doing for you. Use promo code TORRES, and you make any $5 bet. You get $200 in bonus bets just by using promo code TORRES. So all you got to do, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, make a $5 bet, Use promo code Torres, and they will give you up to $200 in bonus bets, courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook. And here's what I'm going to do, because I'm such a nice guy. They say nice guys finish last, not in this case. This is what I'm going to do for you people of Kentucky, okay? For the first 10 people, and you have to be a first-time user, for the first 10 people that screenshot your first bet with DraftKings Sportsbook with the promo code Torres, what I need you to do is this. You got your pen and your paper out, got your notepad out, screenshot first bet with DraftKings, promo code Torres. Send it to Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. The first 10 people to do that, I will send you a $25 Buffalo Wild Wings gift card courtesy of Torres. So you get a free lunch, a free dinner courtesy of Torres. All you got to do, screenshot Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. Again, remember, promo code Torres, bet $5, $200 in bonus bets, and then I'm giving you a bonus Buffalo Wild Wings gift card for using the Aaron Torres promo code. All right. With that said, a lot of ground to cover. Busy Saturday. There is no more time to waste. So let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, bluntly, listen, I could start in a million different places, but what was interesting about Saturday, and we have one of these or two of these pretty much every year, you can almost call it almost upset Saturday, right? Georgia almost got upset at Auburn, but survived. USC almost got upset at Colorado, 
but survive. Uh, Notre Dame almost got upset at Duke, but survived. And so because there were no major upsets, where I want to start instead is beautiful Lexington, Kentucky, where I thought we got one of the most definitive results of Saturday. There, the Kentucky Wildcats came in as a one-point favorite in the DraftKings Sportsbook. I will be blunt. Um, I did pick Kentucky to win this game. I think on Friday's show, I said something like 27 to 17 or something like that. What I did not expect was a total butt kicking for the ages as Kentucky beats Florida 33 to 14. It wasn't that close. Kentucky better in essentially every way a football team can be. And in, 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 and in what has become essentially an annual tradition here on the Aaron Torres pod, I got to ask as good as Mark Stoops is, is he still underrated nationally? Because folks, I think he is. And what's interesting about this game, listen, I have done the Mark Stoops is underrated thing before, but it's always been kind of that feel-good, uplifting, surprising, upset-type moment that we've talked about it. What was interesting about this one is a couple things. One, Kentucky was favored. It was only by a point at home. Didn't think it was enough. But two, um, this is a series that Kentucky has actually kind of dominated, even coming into Saturday. If you know the history... You know, that Kentucky went forever without beating Florida. Uh, They said it on the broadcast. It was the longest single win streak one school had over another in, I believe it was FBS football. Uh, But over the last five years, Kentucky has swung this the other way. 2018, they go down and win at the Swamp. Or yeah, 2018, they go down and win at the Swamp. Uh, 2021, they win at home at Commonwealth Stadium, Kroger Field, whatever you want to call it. And then, of course, 2022, last year, they win in the Swamp again. And so it's not as though this is some stunning upset, and that's not how I want to frame it because that's not it at all. Kentucky has been the better team in this series, and Kentucky, again, came in as a favorite. But I do think what stood out about this game, what made this one different, there was nothing fluky about it, no feel good, oh my goodness, here come the Kentucky. No, it was just a butt-kicking of epic proportions, okay? I think the win a few years ago in 2018 at the Swamp, that was to, that was about history. That was about breaking history and breaking a streak. 2021 was about doing it in front of your home fans. Last year was about proving you could do it again. This year, this year specifically in 2023, it was about simply proving that you have the better football program, and that's exactly what Kentucky did on Saturday. Listen, the reason I picked Kentucky, I said to myself uh, last week, I said, I believe that Kentucky, they got more dudes that look like they should be playing at Florida than Florida does. And Florida kind of plays the way that Kentucky did on the way up under Mark Stoops, right? We all remember those games. We all remember those teams, low scoring, physical, try to keep the ball away from the other team. That's who Florida has become. And meanwhile, the Kentucky Wildcats, I said, coming in, I said, Dane Key, he could play anywhere in college football. Barry and Brown could play anywhere in college football. Ray Davis could play anywhere in college football. Kentucky's the one with those dudes. So that was my thought process on Thursday, Friday. Saturday was not only about that being right, but it was about Kentucky simply being better at every single spot on the field. First of all, the the stats are are mind-boggling, and we know what they are. Ray Davis, the running back, the transfer from Vanderbilt, a historic day. A historic day as Kentucky as a team rushed for 329 yards against the Florida Gators. 329 yards, nine yards per carry in that game. Ray Davis obviously got all the accolades, but he even said it himself. He said, I didn't set any records today. I didn't go for history today. The big blue wall, my offensive line did. And that was what was so surreal about this game. Kentucky was the better team at essentially every spot on the field. Now, you could argue Graham Mertz, the quarterback, maybe outplayed Devin Leary, but that was because Graham Mertz had to. That was because Devin Leary could hand off the ball and his running backs were getting nine yards per carry in that game. Kentucky was better at the running back position. They have the better wide receivers. They have the better offensive line. They have the better defensive line. They have the better secondary. It was a butt kicking, and it was surreal to see a Kentucky team have better players everywhere on the field than the Florida Gators. And because of it, That is why, let me say once again, Mark Stoops is spoken about in the highest regards across college football. A guy that I think is respected by every fan base in the SEC. 
Yet I also still think somehow, some way, he is underrated on a national scale. And the reason is because, listen, you don't need me to tell you the history. But what he has done with this program is absolutely unbelievable, right? And, and I don't mean to, to, to tear down what Kentucky was before he got there. But it's one thing to be Brian Kelly and to be, you know, get an LSU program two, three years after they win a national championship. You know, even Florida, I mean, Billy Napier inherited a program that has been historically great, won multiple national championships under multiple head coaches, and they were two years removed from playing for the SEC title. Mark Stoops in 20, whatever it was, 13, 14, he took over, and this isn't exaggeration. They he took over the worst team in the SEC. Remember, when he got there, James Franklin was still at Vanderbilt. They were winning nine games. Steve Spurrier was still at South Carolina. They were a top 10 team. And Mark Stoops, and I know Kentucky fans know this, and I know it's old news at this point, but he has built them up and up and up from two wins to five wins to seven wins for, to being happy to go to bowl games to 10 win seasons. But what stood out on Saturday was this has arrived as an elite program, okay? There is no moral victories about getting to a bowl game. There is no moral victories about beating Florida. There is no moral victories about whatever. That is a team that I believe you put them on the field with just about anybody. They can play with just about anybody. Now, listen, they go to Georgia this weekend. That is the ultimate test. And I get Georgia is a 17-point favorite, and I get as great as you were against Florida, you're going to have the toughest test of your season against the number one team in the country and the two-time defending champion. But listen, I watch a lot of college football, blessed to do what I do. And I'm here to tell you, that team that I saw on Saturday, the size, the speed, the physicality, the aggressiveness, defensive front, secondary, wide receivers, that team can play with just about anybody in the country. So I'm not going to sit here on a Monday morning right after you just you know destroyed the Florida Gators and say they're going to Georgia and winning that game. That's not what it's about. It's about appreciating these moments. It's appreciating how far this program has come. And it's about appreciating you just kicked the Florida Gators' butts and absolutely nobody is surprised about it. So we'll talk about Kentucky, Georgia on the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday show. But today is just about enjoying this moment. Congrats, Kentucky fans. You deserve it. And Mark Stoops, every bit of praise that he gets, he absolutely deserves as well. All right, I do want to switch gears. And I do want to talk about the Florida side of things. Um, and before I get into Florida, let, let, let me be clear here. I'm going to be a little bit critical of Florida here over the next couple minutes. And if you're a Kentucky fan who just enjoyed the crap out of me talking about how much fun it was to watch Kentucky dominate Florida, I'm going to be critical of Florida. And I want you to know it is in no way, shape or form an indictment of what Kentucky did. I can be critical of Florida without it taking away from what Kentucky did and how dominant Kentucky was. And so if you're a Kentucky fan, enjoy the moment. You were the significantly better team on Saturday at home against the Florida Gators. All right, I do want to switch gears and talk about things from the Florida perspective. And before we get into the Florida perspective, let me just say this. If you're a Kentucky fan who just enjoyed everything I had to say about your team and your program, I want you to understand one thing. Over the next few minutes, I'm going to be very critical of the Florida Gators. But I want you to know this is not an indictment on you. I can criticize Florida without taking away from everything that Kentucky did and how awesome that they looked on Saturday. So again, Kentucky fans, congrats on what was an unbelievable win at home, a dominant win where you proved you're not only the better team this year, you're the better program right now. At the same time, though, we do have to talk about it from the Florida perspective, and let me say this. I understand that Billy Napier inherited a tough situation. I understand that this is a rebuild. I understand you can't do it all through the transfer portal. But at the same time, I will also say this. There is no reason for Florida and Florida football to ever be as bad as they are right now. And I do think it falls on the head coach. I do think it falls on that huge, huge, huge staff that he has put together. And I do think it's unacceptable, even though I do think Billy Napier is not totally to blame. And so to be clear, let, let's get that part of the way right off the top, right? Billy Napier, um, it hasn't been great, but I don't think he is the sole reason that Florida looks the way that they do right now. Dan Mullen left a mess, okay? And, and, and I remember three seasons ago. So last year was Billy Napier's first year in 2022. So it was the 2021 season. I remember watching Florida early and saying to myself, that team's not very good. I was like, that team doesn't have very much talent. I don't think they're very good. And they played Alabama tough early in the year, and we thought, okay, Florida's fine. And then the season wears on, and you start to realize they're not good. 
They got they lost to Kentucky on the road. We just talked about it. They lose to South Carolina. They lose to Missouri. And eventually Dan Mullen gets fired. And so two years ago, I thought it was the worst Florida team that, that I had ever seen. Then last year, I watched Florida, and I definitely thought that team was worse than the year before. And then in 2023, a lot of the best players off last year's team that went 6-7, and seven, lost in the Las Vegas Bowl, most of their best players were gone. Anthony Richardson was gone, the best, obviously, you know, number three pick in the draft. Uh, much of the offensive line left. Some of the best defensive players left at all. So I get that this isn't totally a Billy Napier thing. But at the same time, let's also call a spade a spade. Florida should never be this bad, period. And Florida should especially never be so bad in the transfer portal era. And when I think about Florida, this is what I keep coming back to. Billy Napier, I understand it's a process. I understand he can't do it overnight. I understand even at the places that have had great success in the transfer portal, LSU, USC, Auburn, they're all going through their own struggles right now. Okay, you can't. It's really hard to build a roster in a year or two through the portal. At the same time, Billy Napier has essentially had four portal cycles to get some talent in that program. Remember, he took over in December of 2021. That means he had the winter portal cycle of 2021. The spring portal cycle of 2022, where he famously said, after spring practice, we're open for business. The fall or the winter portal cycle of 2022, and then the spring cycle of 2023. That's four portal cycles, two high school recruiting classes, one and a half if you want to say 2021 was essentially signed when he got there. And so you have now had enough time. You have now had enough time to bring in some difference makers to this program. And I don't see any anywhere at Florida. Now, listen, I think they can win the six games that they need to get to a bowl game just with the grinded out, you know, uh, chew up the clock philosophy that they had against uh, Tennessee a few weeks ago. But Florida's goal is not to get to six and six. It's not to go to a bowl game. It is to compete at the highest level of this sport. And I just don't understand how bad, how this roster can be so bad. And if you want to blame Dan Mullen, that's fine. I understand that the best teams and the best programs, they sign the best high school players and they develop them throughout the program. I mean, even if you look at LSU right now, LSU got destroyed the other day against the Ole Miss, but their their, their wide receiver room is, is electric. Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas, Kyron Lacey, they were all signed through the high school ranks and have developed in the program. So I get that. At the same time, from the Florida perspective, how do you not have talent anywhere, right? Like at least with LSU, even though they've signed a million guys in the portal as well, you can still see some special somewhere. There's problems that they have, but Jaden Daniels is special. The pass game is special. The run game is getting there. The defense isn't very good. USC, it's kind of the same thing. They've signed a million guys through the portal. At least the pass game is good. At least the wide receivers are good. It's not just Caleb Williams. But you look at Florida, and again, it goes back to where are they special? Name me one place. They were completely outclassed. They were not the better team at essentially any position on the field on Saturday against Kentucky. I know I just said it. If you want to argue maybe Graham Mertz was a little bit better, it's because he had to be. He had to throw the ball because his offensive line couldn't block and his defensive line was getting blown up every single play from the beginning of the game till the end. When Kentucky averages nine yards per carry against you, it means that you're not good enough in the uh, the defensive line, linebacker, or the secondary. When your safeties and corners have to make tackles, it means you're not good enough defensively. And so I look at Florida, where are they special? I think you can argue they have two pretty good running backs in Etienne and uh, Montreal Johnson, but Graham Mertz is not in the, you know, top five or six SEC quarterbacks. I think, you know, Texas A&M has two better quarterbacks than Graham Mertz. Okay. Um, They're not special wide receiver. Ricky Pearsall is incredible, but he really should be your number two or number three. Offensive line is simply not good enough. And then the, the defense. I don't care how bad Dan Mullen's recruiting is. I don't care whatever. You should never be this bad on. There's too many good players in the state of Florida. Florida produces 200 high school players a year that can play Division One football. Probably 50, 60 that can play in the SEC. How are seemingly none of them on your roster? So from the Florida perspective, I, I do think there's a little bit of a positive. It is that, um, you know, it is that they have the number four high school recruiting class in the class of 2024. They are, it seems to be finally bringing in some difference makers, but here's the bottom line. They're not very good this year. Next year, the schedule is brutal. They have Miami and Florida state out of conference plus the sec, the expanded sec. Uh, they'll, you know, they'll have the normal brutal sec schedule. 
But even if you sign a great recruiting class this year, they're still going to be growing pains. They're not all going to be ready next year. They're not all going to hit even when they do. So now you're talking about 2022 was a complete wash in year one under Billy Napier. 2023 doesn't look much better. Now you're selling 2025 because 2024, all these guys are going to have to get ready. It is an uphill battle for Billy Napier. I know he had a little bit of positive mojo kind of coming out of that Tennessee game, but I'm here to tell you, man, listen, I, I just, I don't think you should be that outmanned and that outclassed uh, by a Kentucky team on Saturday. No matter how good Kentucky is, no matter how good Mark Stoops is recruited and developed, Florida should never be this bad. And I do think it falls on Billy Napier. All right. So what I want to do, take a quick break, come back. When we come back, we'll switch gears to another team that, uh, you know, they've used the port a lot, I guess. So well, I don't even know how I'm transitioning here. Bottom line. We're going to talk USC Colorado next. Colorado, you know about them, but USC, I think it's officially time to so set the panic button for Lincoln Riley and that defense. Quick break. Be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Do want to switch gears. Uh, and I want to get out to what was certainly a, a, a big game out West and certainly an interesting result as USC traveled to face Colorado. And this game, I think, was interesting. It was certainly hyped. We know about the Colorado conversation. I'm as guilty as anybody of talking a ton of Colorado on this show. But I also thought it was an interesting and important game for USC. USC entered the game 4-0. First three games, defense was pretty good, specifically game two against Nevada, game three against Stanford. They have a bye. But then last week, they did not look very good at all against Arizona State. Gave up 28 points to a team that had gotten shut out the week before. And so the question coming into this one was, is USD, USC's defense, uh, were they just looking ahead? Were they not ready? Was it a late kick? Whatever. Or is this another year where Caleb Williams is going to have to again and again and again bail this team out? Well, on Saturday, we got our answer because USC, a 21 and a half point favorite in this game, in complete control early, up 34 to 14 at the half. And then in the second half, they could not get a single stop as all of a sudden a game that was seemingly out of hand came down to the final few possessions. USC wins 48 to 41. But in the game where they give up 41 points, 563 yards of total offense. The big story here is pretty straightforward. Is USC going to waste what is almost certainly the final year of the Caleb Williams era because they have not figured out their defense? And how, frankly, mad should we be at Lincoln Riley for potentially wasting this, this, this Caleb Williams era. Now, in terms of the game itself, uh, let me start with a few things. One, Caleb Williams is freaking special, man. I almost, I almost used the other F word. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I caught myself. I mean, this kid is unbelievable. Finished this game 30 of 41, I think 30 of 41 passing, uh, six touchdowns, uh, one interception. It was his first interception of the year. He had over 400 yards passing. 
And again, it was a game where one, his skill set was on display. I mean, the throws that he made, the reads that he made, I am not a quarterback guru. I'm not a whisperer, if you will. But if you can't see how special this kid is, I don't know what to tell you. He had one touchdown pass where he kind of like, you know, moved in the pocket and felt the pressure and got outside the pocket, but didn't crack cross the line of scrimmage. Excuse me. Throws off his back foot. Boom. 45, 50 yard touchdown. The kid is unbelievable. The kid is special. But what's frustrating about watching him is that it is so abundantly clear that we are in the exact same situation as last year. If you listen to this show last year, you remember. I said, I believe Caleb Williams should be your Heisman Trophy winner, not just because the stats were amazing, 42 touchdowns, six interceptions, but because every single week, his team needed him to bail them out. I'm not going to go through all the games, but look at the back half of the schedule. They're giving up 40, 32, 34, 37 points game after game after game, and Caleb Williams had to be great game after game after game. And so you had hoped things had changed, and through a week or two, it looked like it might have. But the Arizona State game was concerning, and Colorado was just an absolute abomination. And that's not a disrespect to Colorado. We'll talk about the Colorado perspective in a minute. But remember, a couple things on Colorado. One, they came into this game essentially without their best wide receiver, Travis Hunter. Two, they haven't been able to run the ball against anybody. They came into this game bottom five nationally in rushing. Had 40 yards on 26 carries. Last week against Oregon, I'm not great at math, but that comes out to about one and a half yards per carry. That ain't good. Well, on Saturday, Colorado, 563 yards of total offense. And here's the especially concerning part. 193 yards on the ground, five yards per carry for one of the worst rushing offenses in all of college football. And so I bring that up because if you're a USC fan, you just have to be terrified that this is going to be a wasted year with a generational talent at quarterback. And I know what some of you think, Torres, you're overreacting. They're 5-0. and Who cares? Whatever. Well, one, you are 5-0, and but the schedule is going to get so much tougher, okay? Um, this is the easy part of the schedule right now, and USC essentially has had to escape two weeks in a row at Arizona State at Colorado. They have Arizona next week, who, by the way, I think can keep things competitive. But then, here is the schedule from there. Notre Dame on the road, Washington at home, Utah at home, Oregon on the road. Uh, who else am I missing? UCLA at home. Now, they do have a game against Cal mixed in there. That should be a win. But those other five games, they could lose all of them. Notre Dame on the road is not going to be easy, uh, especially with the way you gave up rush yards on Saturday. Washington and Oregon speak for themselves. By the way, UCLA is playing great defense right now, and that 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 star freshman quarterback, Dante Moore, he will have a year's worth of experience under his belt by that game. And so to me, you can't simply say you're 5-0, and you have time to figure it out. No, you don't, because the schedule is going to get so much tougher, and it comes back to what I said. You are going to waste maybe the best quarterback that you'll ever have if you're Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. And listen, I'm not like anti like fire everybody and this guy stinks and that guy stinks and whatever but at the same time let's call a spade a spade here as great as lincoln riley is um he's had heisman trophy finalists in basically every year he's been a head coach baker mayfield wins it kyler murray wins it jalen hurts is at the ceremony caleb williams wins it uh last year for uh usc but i think we can all agree caleb williams is different than baker mayfield for sure different than Kyler Murray for sure, even different than Jalen Hurts. And there's no guarantee that you get this kind of talent again. And so to waste it because you did not figure out your defense in the offseason, because yes, you went to the portal, but you brought back the same defensive coordinator who wasn't getting the job done at Oklahoma, who didn't get the job done last year. I'll take it a step further. You know, you, you, you talk to people in this sport, people say part of it is how Lincoln Riley practices, doesn't have physical practices. It's about whatever. And it's ultimately whatever the reason is, whether it's the scheme, whether it's the coach, whether it's how you practice, it, things have not changed. This is now what year six, year seven for Lincoln Riley as a head coach. And every single year, it feels like is the quarterback, is the offense going to bail out the defense? And so I'm not going to go on and on. I do want to talk about Colorado and then I want to get to the rest of a loaded fun Saturday in college football. 
But like, I just can't sit here and, and think anything other than my goodness. Here we go again. And Lincoln Riley, you got to figure it out again, whether it's the coordinator, whether it's the scheme, whether it's how you practice, whether it's how you recruit, whether it's the portal, whether it's high school, whether it's whatever. You can't keep going on like this. I know it's only year two at USC, but if you can't see the trend, and oh, by the way, you're going into the Big Ten over the next couple of years, and you're going to have to win at Penn State. You're going to have to win at Iowa, at Wisconsin, Michigan at uh, at home. Like This is not going to get any easier. And I just can't believe that we find themselves we find ourselves in this situation again. USC wins, but I don't know how anyone can feel good about it. Quickly, let's switch gears to the Colorado perspective. And of course, when Colorado first of all, like coming into this game, I think there were a lot of people who thought, well, this is just going to be Oregon 2.0, right? Oregon beats Colorado 42 to 6. Oregon, there's all the Dan Landing stuff, whatever. Why I bring it up is because when the game started and when it got ugly early, uh, I saw all of the normal chatter that you would normally expect during a Colorado game. The people that don't like Deion Sanders, the people that don't like Colorado, the people that don't want to see him succeed. I heard, oh, they are, they're the most overrated team that I have ever seen. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a second now. Are they the most overrated team or are they just talked about more than you would like? Because one, we talk about them a lot because you guys and girls are interested. You can tell me that you don't care, but you care. They are the most talked about, discussed program in college football right now, but they are not overrated. This was a team that was projected to win three games coming into this season. They started 3-0. and They lost to a top 10 team on the road. And going into Saturday, they were so ahead of schedule. So I bring it up because yes, Colorado lost. But coming out of this game, Deion Sanders said point blank, if you can't see that we are on the way up, then you have blinders on. I don't know what else to tell you. You're a hater. And I actually happen to agree with Deion Sanders here. Even though they lost, I think there are a ton of positives to come away from this game. First of all, let's start with just, again, the the, the narrative about Colorado even coming into this game before the performance as they do. Uh, you know, listen, it, it was a game that, that late in the game, they could have won 48-41. But again, I'm going to keep repeating it because I think it's worth bearing. Stop telling me they're overrated. Stop telling me they're this. Stop telling me they're that. This was a team that was picked to go 3-9. and nine. They were picked, what, 11th in the Pac-12, and the over-under win total was 3.5 wins. Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, brought in 65, 70 new players because they were literally the worst team in major college football last year. Joel Klatt keeps talking about it on all these broadcasts. It's not just that they lost games. They were embarrassed. They got killed. They got destroyed. So the fact that they've gotten to three wins in the first five weeks of the season, that's three more, that's what, two more than they had last year, three times the number of wins. But more importantly, they are so far ahead of schedule. And so when I look at this team, it's hard not to be excited about the future because of the fact that they are already doing things that people said that they couldn't do. Said that they weren't going to beat TCU, they did. Said they weren't going to beat Nebraska, they did. Said that they weren't even going to get be competitive against USC, they were. And yes, USC has problems on the defense, but it doesn't take away from the fact that this team's ahead of schedule. More importantly, I think there were a ton of positives that came out of Saturday. First of all, you fight, you're resilient, you fall down early, you don't back down. And this was in a game where you were as banged up and beat up as you have been all season. And frankly, as beat up as you may be all season going forward. Remember, there's no Travis Hunter. It go, it, it, It's obvious. You shouldn't need me to tell you. Travis Hunter is their best player on offense and their best player on defense. Best player on offense besides Shador Sanders elite wide receiver that, as Deion Sanders has said multiple times, could be a first-round pick as a wide receiver. Problem is, he is the best cornerback probably in all of college football. And so I'm not saying they would have won if he had played. That's not what I'm doing. But he was hurt. Shiloh Sanders, who has been a very good safety for this team through four games, he was not available. And so to have all that happen against the best pass offense, maybe in college football, not named Washington, and to be in this game late is awesome. I'm not saying, and by the way, and Dion said this and Shador said this after the game. 
There are no moral victories in college football. I'm not saying that everyone should pat themselves on the back and give themselves a high five because they almost beat USC. They came to win that game. But again, the goal was never to win the Pac-12 title this year. The goal was never to compete for a national championship this year. It is at USC. It is at Oregon. It is at, at Washington. That was never the goal at Colorado. Beyond that, and I think this is the especially important part, you got to see some of those young guys, and those young guys are ballers, okay? And this goes a lot back to what we talked about on Friday's show. We talked about all the kerfuffle, if you will, uh, with Cormani McClain. The five-star freshman was not playing. Coach Prime was asked about it last week, and he basically said, the kid's not ready. He's not showing up on time. He's not... Um, prepared. He's not, you know, we watch film of practice every day. We evaluate everyone every day and he has not put himself in position to earn playing time. Well, whether it was because of injuries or whether it was because Colorado was down, he got thrown into the fire. So did Amarion Miller, the freshman. And what I love about coach prime doing it is this. I'm not saying that any player should be given playing time um, just because they have a five-star next to their name or they were a top 50 recruiter, whatever. But at the same time, you know what this kind of reminded me of on Saturday? And I think this is a really interesting and important point to make. Um, ever, I think most people that, that that follow me know I love college hoops. I, I, I cover it pretty extensively, okay? And when you talk about college hoops, it's such a one-and-done, freshman-driven sport. And there are really two ways to approach these high-profile freshmen. There's the old-school kind of Jay Wright, Roy Williams way which is I'm going to put the five every single day, every single moment, every single game, I'm going to put the five best players on the floor that give me the best chance to win this specific game in this specific moment. And I don't care if you're a five-star. I don't care if you're a two-star, 50-year senior. If you're helping me win right now, then you're playing. And if you're a five-star and you're not ready, I'm sorry, get your butt on the bench and stay there. I remember getting into a fight with Villanova fans year ago, years ago because I said I would never send my son to play for Villanova if he was a one and done. And Villanova fans were like, oh, you know, what are we supposed to just let put in whoever just because they're a five-star? No, but that's how Villanova operates. On the other side, and I know I'm rambling, but let me explain. It's all going to come full circle. You have the John Calipari, Kentucky Duke side of things where they recruit the best high school players. They recruit guys they know are going to be one and done. And what John Calipari has basically done for years is he has essentially said, I am going to bet on talent over the long term. I'm going to play my freshmen. I'm going to play my five stars, and I'm going to have to deal with mistakes and whatever and lapses and mental lapses and whatever. I need them to get reps. I need them to work through their mistakes. And then by the time we get to March, those kids are going to be ready to go. And you can criticize Coach Cal about one national championship, whatever. But the resume speaks for itself, you know, four final fours, six, seven elite eights at this point. But that's his philosophy. And so to bring it back to Colorado, to bring it back to Colorado, Coach Prime basically had his John Calipari moment where he's like, I'm waiting on these kids. I'm not sure if they're ready. I'm not even sure if they've earned this opportunity, but we're beat up, we're down and I need to throw these kids into the fire and see what they look like when the lights are on. Are they ready to compete? Are they ready to play at this level? Well, Cormani McLean, the kid who got criticized last week by Coach Prime, and to be clear, if you missed it, I have no freaking problem with what he said at all. Cormani McLean played pretty well. Pass breakup in the end zone. Um, and then, oh, by the way, on top of that, did have an interception that was ultimately called back because of a penalty. He looked good out there. Now, is he Travis Hunter? Is he the best cornerback in college football right now? No. But could you see the glimpses of what he could be in another year or two in a college weight training program with a little bit of maturity, if he shows up on time, if he does what he's supposed to do, you can see why he was a five-star. Amarion Miller, five uh, four-star wide receiver, it's the same thing. Hadn't gotten a ton of reps before Saturday. Coach Prime throws him into the fire. Seven catches, 196 yards, all in the second half. And so again, I'm not saying that you bump seniors to, to the curb and say, this kid's got to play. But now those kids have gotten a taste. Now, hopefully, they, and I don't know about the Amarion Miller situation, so I don't want to speak on it, but Cormani McLean, now that he's seen the playing field, hopefully he understands what it takes to get on the field and what it takes to stay there. And so you start looking at what Coach Prime said, we're trending in the right direction. I don't know how you can't feel that way because one, you almost beat a top 10 team at home. 
Two, some of your younger guys got reps. You got two weeks until your bye week. You're going to get more healthy. And this is a growing, maturing process that we are seeing in front of our eyes. And so I can't wait to see how this thing evolves over the next couple of weeks. And I got a newsflash for it. If you think this is over, everyone's going to stop talking about it. No. Colorado plays probably the two worst teams in the Pac-12 this year at Arizona State next week, Stanford at home the following week. They should win both those games. I'm not saying they will definitively, although I kind of think they will. But then they get their bye. They're going to go in their bye week five and two. And again, the final few weeks of the season isn't about competing for a Pac-12 title, isn't about competing for a national championship. Get that sixth win, get bowl eligible so you can get all those extra practices and then bust your butt in recruiting. And we know recruiting is going to be good. They had a big recruiting weekend this weekend. Their number one committed player actually uh, announced officially that he will enroll in January. Aaron Butler, wide receiver from California. So this thing's only going to get better. I said it a million times. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap the segment on this. Coach Prime just said, if you can't see the positives that come out of a game like this for, again, a team that went 1-11 last year, a team that lost by like 50 points when they played at the Coliseum a year ago against USC, to where they were on Saturday and where they could be in another three, four, five weeks as they get into a bye, as they get healthy, as some of those younger guys get reps. I'm sorry, you're missing the, you know, you can't see the forest through the trees because I think there's a lot of positives that came out of Saturday. All right, so what I want to do, take a quick break, come back. When we come back, we are going to wrap with all of the other craziness in college football. LSU Ole Miss was bananas. Georgia survives Auburn. I want to talk about Texas A&M. Are they pretty good? And then, of course, Arkansas, not so much. Notre Dame survives. Michigan looks awesome. Take a quick break. Be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. All right, everybody, I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to go ahead and wrap with the rest of the weekend that was in college football. You know, listen, I said this on Friday's show. I really felt like this was the weekend. We were going to learn a lot about a lot of these teams. And I really feel like we did both in a positive way and a negative way. And so let's get to some of the other results from the weekend that was uh, really just a fun, awesome Saturday college football. Let's start. I think it's about time we talk about the number one team in the country, the Georgia Bulldogs. They do take care of business. They win 27 to 20 at Auburn. Uh, and I think there's kind of one of two ways that you can look at this. One, I think you can look at it the way that Kirby Smart at least publicly approached this game. He said afterwards, he goes, guys, and he said this on the CBS broadcast. He said, uh, whenever you win on the road in the SEC, I don't care how pretty, how ugly it is. Uh, you celebrate it and you appreciate it. But I think there is the other perspective as well. Um, and that is that, again, Georgia in a, a pseudo marquee game did not look great. And this does not look like a team that is ready to steamroll through the rest of college football this year. Now, in terms of the game, really interesting game, fun game. Uh, and Auburn came out and, and kind of threw the kitchen sink at, at Georgia early. Got up 10-0 late in the first quarter. Uh, ended up going into the second quarter up 10-0. Uh, tied at the half. Auburn has a lead late into the third quarter. But even going into the fourth quarter, you could kind of feel a momentum starting to shift. Auburn's kind of holding on. Georgia clearly has the better players. Now, in terms of the specifics, what you really need to know is two words, and those two words are Brock Bowers. Maybe three words. Brock 
freaking Bowers. I mean, this guy is unbelievable. I think if you're listening to this show, you know who he is. But Georgia tight end, big, physical, athletic. I mean, this guy, listen, I I, I say this all the time. I'm not a draft evaluator. I'm not a, a, a an expert in that area of expertise. But if this guy goes top three, if this guy goes top five, I have absolutely no problem with it because he is just one of the most dynamic weapons that we have in all of college football. Finish the game. Uh, I want to make sure I get the stats right here. Uh, finish this game with, I believe it was eight catches for 107 yards. I could be mistaken on that. Let me double check here in real time. Eight catches, 157 yards, including the game-winning touchdown with under four minutes to go. Yet what was so crazy about it was that it was late in the game. Georgia was struggling with pretty much everything else. They kept going to this guy time after time after time, and every single time he delivered. I had a buddy text me. He said it it was almost like Cooper Cup that year that the Rams won the Super Bowl. It was like you always knew the ball was going to Cooper Cup, and he still somehow got open, still somehow made plays, still somehow scored touchdowns, and that was Brock Bowers for Saturday at Auburn. Was phenomenal, game-winning score, and he is just, again, one of the most gifted players in college football. But at the same time, I do think, um, you know, whether you're a Georgia fan or not, it was, again, another, you know, kind of just whatever effort from Georgia so far this season. And we've talked about him and we've analyzed him and we've overanalyzed him. But, I mean, listen, you go back a few weeks. I mean, they, they struggled to run the ball against Ball State. They trailed at the half against South Carolina. Took care of business last week against UAB. And then this game, again, late in the third quarter, they were trailing. And so, on the one hand, you could sit there and say, look, they're the two-time defending national champions. They kind of just look bored. And I think there is a degree of that to that, right? They're they're banged up, but they're still the best team in college football, probably the most talented team in college football. I think according to the uh, 24-7 composite, they're actually the number two ranked, uh, uh, you know, most talented team in college football. But I just bring it up because I do think there is an element of boredom to what they're doing. At the same time, I'll just tell you, I've watched this sport for way too long, and I know that when you start to see teams bored, you start to see teams, they fall down, they feel like they can always come back, like at some point it comes back to catch up with them. Go through the list. Uh, you know, I remember that that great Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush, USC team. They just always felt like they could come back. They end up losing to, to Vince Young in, in Texas. Miami Hurricanes always feel like they can come back. They lose to Maurice Claret in Ohio State. I'm sure there are more recent contemporary examples, but I can't think of any of them off the top of my head. But you get into this routine where you've dominated for years, you expect to win close games, and at some point it does catch up with you. So is it this weekend against Kentucky? As we said in the Kentucky segment, Kentucky's like a 16.5-point underdog. So maybe this is the game where throughout the week people make the argument for Kentucky. Kirby Smart uses that us-against-the-world mentality, and they take care of business against the Wildcats. But at some point it's going to catch up with them. If it's not this weekend against Kentucky – Maybe it's down the road. Missouri's playing well. They have to go to Tennessee. Ole Miss, I, I, the way that they move the football, I think Ole Miss potentially could be an upset potential team there. So if you're a Georgia team, like I said, if you're a Georgia fan, it's like Kirby Smart said. You celebrate an SEC road win, but you got to clean things up. We now know what the standard is in Athens. It's national championship or bust, especially in this year when college football is wide open. Uh, but you know, credit credit Georgia for getting the win did not look great. From the Auburn perspective, you know, there's not a ton to really take away from here. Um, one, I, I really think, and it's not because he's been on this show, I really think Hugh Freeze is one of the best coaches in college football. And I think the fact that you can bounce back from an ugly loss at Texas A&M and be in the game late, be leading the number one team in the country, the Georgia Bulldogs, with whatever it was, 17 minutes to go in that game, Georgia tied it up with a minute or so left in the third quarter. Um, I think it speaks to like Auburn has the right guy. The problem for Auburn right now, I just don't think they have enough dudes. Like I really think it's that simple. And we've talked about this, but Brian Harson, his final, his two years at Auburn, he did not recruit at the level that you need to, to win in the SEC. We're hearing still stories now of the best players in Alabama. Auburn never visited them over the last two years, and Hugh Freeze is having to play catch-up. And so I could go on and on, 
But as I said a minute ago, with Florida, with USC, with whoever, there's only so much you can do in the portal. And to build a great program, it takes elite high school recruiting year after year after year after year. Now, the good news is Auburn's recruiting like they are ready to compete at the highest level of this conference. Uh, you know, the two five stars we talked about in the middle of the summer, uh, one was a Georgia flip, one was an Alabama flip. Both are going to Auburn, or at least right now committed to Auburn. And overall, their class is actually ranked number six in the country in terms of average player rating. So Hugh Freeze is starting to get those guys, but at some point, you just don't have enough of them, at least not right now. That was my only real takeaway on Saturday. There's only so much you can scheme up. Hugh Freeze is trying to do everything he can to keep his team in that game. But when you're limited at quarterback, when you're limited at the skill positions, when you don't have the bodies that a Georgia or whomever does, there's only so much you can do. I think the the opportunities are bright for Auburn, but they're not quite there yet. Uh, Really quickly, some other scores. You know, if we're going to talk the number one team in the country, we might as well talk number two. That is the Michigan Wolverines. Just a team that we really haven't talked about all that much on this show because they haven't played very many high-profile games. Like, it's funny. I remember there was one year where they must have played a bunch of high-profile games early. It felt like we talked about them every single week, the first five, six, seven weeks of the season. This year, it's crickets. Destroyed East Carolina, destroyed UNLV, destroyed Bowling Green, destroyed Rutgers last week. This was supposed to be the week where they were challenged. They play Nebraska on the road. Nebraska is not great, but they were coming into this game a very good defense, especially against the run. Number two in the country in rushing defense and overall giving up less than 20 points per game. Well, you know what Jim Harbaugh did? He said, oh, you got the number two rushing defense in college football. We're going to run the ball right at you. And let's see how just how good you are. Michigan finished the game with 249 yards rushing and five yards per carry. And so a completely dominant effort. By the way, a team in Nebraska that was giving up 18 points per game, 28 in the first half. And again, it was over uh, by halftime. And I'll say this, like, like in a year where we keep talking about there's so much parity, there's so much balance, you know, is Texas the number one team? Is Florida State? What about Oregon? What about Washington? Are we overthinking this? Is Michigan just the best team in the country? They're just destroying everybody. And I know the competition hasn't been great, but they're doing exactly what you want to see out of a team that is entering this year with the best roster that they've probably had, frankly, in my life, certainly of the last 20 or so years. And so the the, the disappointing thing about Michigan, we're not going to find out for another like month because the schedule does not get tougher. Their three toughest games are probably the final three games of the regular season. They play uh, at Penn State, at Maryland, Ohio State. So we're not going to find out for a while. I mean, the schedule is really just not very tough, right? Like, like I'm. let's look at the schedule. They play at Minnesota next week. Um, after they play Minnesota, they then have uh, Indiana. Oh, that's going to be a challenge. At Michigan State, they don't have a coach. By Purdue, and then Penn State. So I bring it up because, listen, they're 5-0 and right now, five dominant wins, number one defense in the country. And the next four games, frankly, I don't think will be very competitive. But I do think, based on what we saw on Saturday, if you want to make the argument they're the number one team in the country, I have no problem with it at all. Michigan rolls. By the way, hate to brag, my preseason national championship pick. Let's see if it holds up. But Michigan rolls at Nebraska. Two more games I want to get to. One. Unquestionably the most entertaining game of the day. LSU Ole Miss. Final score, Ole Miss 55, LSU 49. Said it on Twitter, and I'll say it here. Don't know if I would want to be a defensive coordinator coming out of that game. Don't know if I'd want to be a a madhouse, the defensive coordinator at LSU, having to look Brian Kelly in the eye, or Pete Golding having to look uh, uh, Lane Kiffin in the eye at Ole Miss. But from an entertainment standpoint, that game was bananas. Also leads to some interesting questions for both. I mean, from the LSU perspective, I feel like I've I've hit on LSU about four or five times throughout this show. I don't know what else there is to say. Um, On the one hand, look, Brian Kelly, I'm a Brian Kelly guy. He did not inherit a great situation. 39 scholarship players. And as I've said about seven times throughout this show, there's only so much you can do through the portal. At the same time, you're LSU. You shouldn't be giving up 55 points to anybody, right? 
And it was funny because, you know, you, you think about, well, I mean, there's been years where the offense is really good, but the defense just isn't very good. The year that Joe Burrow, you win a national championship with him. The defense gave up like 21 points per game that year, which was a lot for LSU. But 21 ain't 55 on the road to Ole Miss. And so what's a bummer for this LSU team? I mean, one, there's the whole like, you know, Brian, Ke- like Brian Kelly isn't the guy crowd. Like, I'm sorry, I don't buy that. Um, but two, like well, what I do think is much more interesting from the LSU perspective, this kind of sucks because you're really wasting a- an incredible offense, an incredible offense that you have um, at LSU. Jaden Daniels, I think, is playing as well as any quarterback in college football. That wide receiver room across the board outside of Ohio State might be the best in college football. Um, Malik Neighbors is the best wide receiver I have seen outside of Marvin Harrison this year. Kyron Lacey had a great touchdown catch. Brian Thomas is awesome. I mean, I think Malik Neighbors is definitely a first-rounder. I'm not enough of an expert to know, but I think Brian Thomas could play his way in as well. But it doesn't matter if you can't stop anybody. So LSU, they got to figure things out quick. Uh, LSU plays uh, Auburn at home this week. That's a get-right game. You have to get right. The defense has to step up. You have to make plays. That Auburn offense is not very good. LSU's got to take care of business. From the Ole Miss perspective, listen, I'll say this. Lane Kiffin kind of secretly needed that game. Like I don't think a lot of people are talking about it, but there were starting to be some rumblings last week about Look at Lane Kiffin's record against teams that finish with nine or better wins. Look at Lane Kiffin's record against top 25 opponents. It is not good. Now, to be fair, LSU might not be very good either. Um, but when you look at Lane Kiffin, the wins that he's had the last couple of years, a lot of bad teams. Last year, their best wins, Kentucky, which woefully underachieved. A&M went, finished five and seven. Auburn, five and seven and fired their coach. Those were their SEC wins last year. That's it. Oh, and Vanderbilt too. Vanderbilt stinks. And so you look at Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin kind of needed this one. He gets the win. The good news for Ole Miss, schedule breaks a little bit nicely for them, at least as much as it can in the SEC. They have Arkansas at home next week. Then they get a bye. After the bye, they play Vanderbilt, and then they play Auburn, I believe. I want to make sure that that's correct. If it is correct, let me make sure. Um, but the point I'm trying to make, yeah, Arkansas by all at Auburn, Vanderbilt. You go 3-0 and in that, all of a sudden you're entering October or November at 7-1 and as the schedule gets tougher. You have AM at Georgia and Mississippi State to close the year. So the good news if you're Ole Miss, LSU and Bama are done. You split those. I know L- uh, Ole Miss fans maybe were a little bit frustrated after the Alabama game, but if you had told them three weeks ago you're going to split Bama and LSU, I think they would have taken it, no doubt about it. Lane Kiffin kind of needed that win. He got it. Speaking of needing a win, Marcus Freeman, Notre Dame, take care of business against Duke. They survive in the final seconds. This was one from a betting perspective I just didn't touch because I just felt like there's no way to know what you're going to get from Notre Dame after that tough, tough, tough loss against Ole Miss or against uh, Ohio State, excuse me, but they get the win. Sam Hartman was excellent. Now Notre Dame, you know, a couple more big games, USC in two weeks. That will be interesting to follow. Finally, and by the way, with Duke, uh, uh, I almost said Lincoln Riley, Riley Leonard, their quarterback, uh, did get hurt late in the game. The good news is it does not appear to be serious, so that is a positive. Finally, I do want to wrap. One more team, one more game, and this is going to be uh, – listen, I, I think this is an interesting game that is absolutely worth discussing. It is the Southwest Classic at Jerry World at Texas A&M. We started the show – with uh, we started the show with 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 Kentucky smacking Florida. Well, Texas A&M smacked Arkansas. Final score thirty four to twenty two in this one, as Texas A&M holds Arkansas to hundred seventy four yards of total offense. And don't look now, but all those young Texas A&M guys, part of that elite recruiting class, are starting to figure it out. Now, before we get into it, I know we have a lot of Arkansas fans that listen to this show that watch on YouTube. I know what you're going to say, Torres, we stink. Don't give Texas A&M a single ounce of credit. What I would say is, I get it. I get that you're frustrated about the situation with your program. I think, to me, it's kind of shocking that Sam Pittman, an offensive line coach, the first three years of his regime, 
It was all about physicality and toughness along the line of scrimmage. They can't move anybody along the line of scrimmage. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand why this team is struggling on the offensive line the way that they are. Fans are starting to get restless. You know, um, this is maybe a midweek topic. It'll certainly be a topic if you lose to Ole Miss next week. Is that, uh, you know, if Arkansas loses back to back, I think there's going to start to be some momentum that maybe Sam Pittman's not really the guy. Maybe there's someone else out there. Is, is is that process starting? I'm starting here behind the scenes. It may already be starting. Sam Pittman needs a win. But to me, I understand that an Arkansas fan is going to sit there and say, oh, we just stink. Don't give AM any credit. I actually think it's the exact opposite. I actually think it's exactly what I said just a moment ago. And that is that I believe that those young players at AM are really starting to get confidence and they're really, frankly, starting to live up to their reputation. And to tell the whole AM story, and to be clear, a lot of schedule ahead, and we'll get to that in a minute. But to be clear, like with AM, any discussion about this season really goes back to last year. Because as bad as it was last year, I keep going back to what we talked about the entire time. Finished five and seven, but of those seven losses, five were by a touchdown or less, okay? You lose on the final play of the game to Alabama. You lose to South Carolina. I've said it a million times in a game where you literally outscored South Carolina after the first play of the game. South Carolina returns the opening kick for a touchdown. You outscore from there. It was that kind of season for AM last year. But what not enough people talk about, all anybody talked about, fire Jimbo Fisher. What's the buyout? What's this? What's that? What nobody talked about was there were so many injuries on that team last year. There were a lot of issues, to be clear. There were chemistry issues. Jimbo Fisher probably shouldn't have been calling plays and trying to do everything else. But there were also a million injuries. And what ended up happening was all of those young guys that were true freshmen that probably shouldn't have been playing, that should have been depth pieces, They got thrown into the fire and they were really, really, really uh, inexperienced and they had to learn on the fly. And now what you're seeing is a team with young guys that seemingly is getting more confidence every week. And I know they lost to Miami, but since then destroyed Monroe, destroyed Auburn, destroyed Arkansas. Okay. And when I look at Saturday specifically, look at who those contributors were leading rusher, Le'Veon Moss, part of that 2022 recruiting class. Evan Stewart, touchdown catch, leaves the game with injury. Hopefully he's fine, but he was a key part of that class. On the defense, Bryce Anderson, second leading tackler, part of that class. Walter Nolan was one of maybe the number one player in the entire 2022 recruiting class outside of Travis Hunter. He was all over the field yesterday. He was unblockable. Um, You know, uh, uh, you know, I'm going, I'm just trying to go off the top of my head. Guys that stood out from that game. LT Overton played really well. Um, you know, you look at some of these other guys that, that were, were dominant in that game. Jared Kerr was one of the lower rated recruits in that class. He was awesome. Uh, who's the guy that I'm missing? I'm blanking on one guy here off the top of my head. Uh, who, who's the guy that stood out? He did something. Um, the, uh, Jacoby Matthews is all over the field constantly as a defensive back. So I'm rambling. I don't want to overdo this, but I think the point remains. This is a team that again, is is young but is getting talent and i think what's obvious watching them they are getting more and more confidence every single week as this thing goes on and what i would be worried about if i was the rest of the sec first of all dominant up front in the trenches dominant up for up front in the trenches 15 tackles for loss seven sacks in this game now not all of them were from that 2022 recruiting class but dominant in the trenches and gaining confidence every week. The worst thing you want if you're an opponent is a team that is not only talented, but getting confidence. I remember Lewis Riddick talked about this with Texas A&M in their opener uh, against New Mexico. He said, these guys are, they've always been good, but they're playing so much faster, so much more confident. We're going to find out this weekend against Alabama, Texas A&M hosts Alabama this coming weekend. But I'm here to tell you, man, I I think this team is starting to figure it out. They take care of Alabama. Guess who has the inside track to Atlanta in the SEC championship? Not saying they beat Bama, not saying it's happening, but you look up, you look at how they match up against Bama at home. The veteran quarterback defensive front is filthy. I think AM's, I I won't give away my week, my week six predictions here on Monday, but you talk about a team that I think can absolutely beat Alabama next week. It's the Texas AM Aggies. 
Arkansas fans, if you're still listening, by the way, we will probably talk about Sam Pittman at some point this week because I don't think it's going good for the old pit boss. I think it's time for me to get out of here. Fun show, man. It's it's so good, guys and girls. It's so good. I mean, it's so good. It's so good to just have real stuff to talk about. And I say it every every Monday, but those you know June, July, August shows where you're just scraping the bottom of the barrel to try to find something. Now it's like, man, give me old Miss LSU in July. I could turn that into two hours of content in July. I barely get to talk about it on today's show, but that is what football season things brings. So thank you to the football gods because boy, oh boy, is this the greatest sport on the planet or what? If you're not subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Aaron Torres Pod on TikTok. Can't believe I went there, but I did. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel, closing in on 27,000 subscribers. Cannot thank everybody enough for your support. Also, cannot thank DraftKings enough for their support. An incredible partner. So excited to work with them. Remember, if you're a first-time user, especially in Kentucky, sports betting just came to you. Bet $5 on any game. Get 200 in bonus bets with the code TORRES. And if you take a screenshot and if you email it to me at Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, I will send you a $25 Buffalo Wild Wings gift card for free as a thank you for your support. That's all for today's show. It is time for me to get out of here. Appreciate everybody's support. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F head. Unblock me, bro. I'll be back on Wednesday. New episode, Aaron Torres Podcast.